You know, I think a lot of people assume a library is about books and my social media handle is Dr. T loves books because I love books. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to get into the library in the first place, but it's so much more than that. And like you're saying, like it has been and continues to be one of the main places for that electronic door, that Carter into the wider world. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Optimalist, a podcast where we have set out to explore the optimal way to educate in the age of AI. If you're new here, or if you're not, I'm Sarah Candela, your host through this exploration of the elements of human flourishing. I am entering a wonderful few weeks of talking with some of my favorite people, librarians. Steve Tatro has been a teacher since 1998. He has a master's of education and a doctor of education in educational administration and supervision and an MI degree in library and information science. Steve is a monthly contributor to AASL's Knowledge Quest site and has written for School Library Connection, Publishers Weekly, American Libraries, and other publications. He created schoollibrarianlearningnetwork.org a site that collects free learning opportunities and resources of interest to school librarians. He recently started the SLLN podcast. He's the chair of the New Jersey Association of School Librarians Professional Development Committee, as well as an avid reader. Enjoy my conversation with Steve, where we talk about the integral nature of the work that he's currently doing and the influence of technology on school libraries. All of this and more on today's Optimalist. I have definitely taken a very circuitous route to where I have ended up. I started out in education as a teacher in the late 90s and ended up in New Jersey. And the first, literally the first school that I got a job at in New Jersey, uh, I'm still working at. And the principal that was the principal at the time when I started was a really interesting character. And he was very much a believer that whatever was going to be best for the kids is what we needed to do. And whether that was like, he might come in one morning and be like, okay, tomorrow we're going to have a Renaissance fair. And like, you're going to dress up and we're going to have the kids go out and we're going to have a, he knew somebody who had a a donkey and they'd bring the donkey in to do jousting. And like, it was just, (laughs) you never knew what each day would bring. And as a new teacher, I found it incredibly infuriating to never know, like, will my plans actually happen today or will we have some kind of crazy thing going on? And I, I, it took me a little while to appreciate the idea that, you know, we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure that our kids want to be here, that they want to learn. And so once I kind of started to realize like, that's a really good philosophy for people to have. And I kind of started to realize that this was an educational leader that I had in my building and he would be part of what was going on in the classrooms. He wouldn't just like sit in the front office waiting for people to come and talk to him or whatever. He was out and about. He was talking to people. He was engaged with the kids, with the students, uh, with the teachers. It was great. And he really brought a lot of vitality to the school. We had our school literally in the district is known for having the strongest sense of community and the strongest sense of, I guess, family. And a lot of that, I still credit, even almost 30 years later, 25 years later, to this one principal. And uh, 
having seen what he did, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to be somebody who is helping to make school be the place that the kids want to be and that the teachers want to be at because they know that they're doing what's best for the kids. Mm. So I ended up getting into a master's program for administration and supervision, figuring like, I want to do what he does. So I'm going to get the degree that he has and the certifications that he has. And it was right around the time I started right around the time that No Child Left Behind came into effect. And as I was going through this master's program, literally over the course of the two and a half, three years that I was doing the the master's degree, I could see administration changing. And that principal moved on to someplace else. And I could see that administration was becoming a lot more about management and about test scores and about, you know, reporting on data. And I was like, this isn't really what I want. This is Mm. not my area of interest. And because of one thing and another, I ended up staying in the program. I finished the degree and then ended up staying for the doctorate because some of my other friends were going for it too. The reason... The, the the only semi-joking reason I ended up staying in the, in the program for my doctorate was so I could have the, the cool hat, the doctorate hat, when we were all done. So <laughs> not the best reason, but... Um, hey, I've made decisions like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basing my education on my fashion choices, not uh, the best decision. But so I enjoyed being in the program, but I had made the decision like, I don't think this is really where I want to spend my time and my effort. So by the time I was done with all the degrees, it had been quite a while. Um, my doctor took me a long time. <laughs> and so when I finished up and I kind of decided it's not really what I wanted to do, I figured I'd stay in the classroom and that'd be that. And I learned a lot of different stuff. And so I was teaching differently now. I was looking at teaching differently. And so I was being a different kind of teacher. And it was less about trying to force the kids you know, to do things that I didn't think they'd want to do and getting them to you know, rise to the challenge. And it was starting to be more about like, how do I meet them where they are and how do I help them to find the things they want and explore the things they love and still learn the things that, you know, I need to help them learn. So it was, you know, it was different and I was kind of going a little bit of a different direction there. And then through happenstance, through chance, our school librarian was going to be out for a couple of weeks and he said, do you want to like sit in for me when you've got prep time and just kind of keep the library going? I was like, you know what? I love being in the library. Why not? So I took over for him for uh, a little while and I was still teaching, but during my free time, I'd be in the library helping out and I loved it. I loved being in the library. I loved helping the kids like find what they were looking for. And I was like, you know, this is, this is pretty cool. And I didn't really go beyond that in my thinking other, this was pretty cool. I love filling in for this librarian. If he's out again, I'll absolutely do this again. And when he came back and I'd kind of told him about some of the stuff that had gone on and he said, oh, man, it looks like you really liked being in here. I was like, oh, I did. It was really great. He was like, you ever think about getting your degree? Because I'm thinking about retiring. I was like, well, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went back, started another degree, got a master's of information, got the teaching certification. And about a month later, that librarian had announced he was going to retire. We, our school was about to start a major renovation. It was the first time my school in 50 years was getting any kind of major renovation. Every other school in the district has gotten stuff. Finally, we're getting our due. They got all this money set aside. They got these huge plans. It's going to be amazing. The library renovation is supposed to be unbelievable. I'm really excited. I'm going to get to step into this brand new space. It's going to be awesome. Got my certification. And then like two months later, they said, you know what? Some of our funding fell through. Instead of renovating the library, that space is now going to be laboratories. 
So they closed the library just as I got my degree. And I was so, I had been so excited. And all of a sudden it was just like, dun, dun, just, I couldn't believe it. So they said, you know what? The middle school and the high school, they're connected. The middle school kids can go use the high school library. That'll be fine. And so we lived like that for a couple of years. At some point I realized like our kids weren't using the high school library because the middle school kids can't go to the high school by themselves. Teachers weren't really taking advantage. The students weren't getting to take advantage. So. A year and a half into this, I went to the supervisor of libraries. I said, look, I get the idea behind why they did what they did, but our school really doesn't have library services. And I think we really need them because part of what I had learned in my library uh, preparation classes, there were so many things that I just hadn't seen as a teacher before, um, especially in terms of how we get information, take in information and the the whole topic of information literacy. And I had already come to the conclusion that the school library is probably the last best place for authentic learning in school. Mm. So like, I really thought we needed a library, but if we're not going to have a library, we at least need a library program of some kind. So I went to the supervisor. I said, look, here's why I think this is important. I think I could do this really well. And she completely agreed. She was like, this, you absolutely make total sense. Let's see if we can get this to happen. So it took a while, but eventually she was able to convince the folks that need to be convinced that this was something that needed to happen. And I finally got to step into the school library um, about halfway through. It was the 2021-2022 school year. So it's been just a couple of years. And it was February of 2022. I stepped into the library for the first time as a school librarian. And it was truly just I started to see all of school in a very different way. So it was a very long and circuitous route, but mm -hmm. I finally felt like I was in the place I was supposed to be, the place I needed to be. And it's really been just such an amazing experience to be in this different place in the educational system and being able to help students in a very different way than I was ever, ever able to during the 20 plus years that I was a classroom teacher. It seems like you almost found your way back to your original question of how do I help kids explore? How do I help them find what it is that they want to find or what it is they need to look for? Like that question, which I think runs through so many teachers' minds in no matter what subject or age level, you know, it's, it's where a lot of us wind up. We think about that all the time. How do I help them get closer to where it is that they want to be or for? show them that they can figure this out on their own. And I also connecting that to what you just said about libraries being like the place for authentic learning. And every time I talk to especially school librarians, that is what we wind up geeking out about is uh, that feeling, you know, it's fun to even go back and think about your own experiences in or with libraries as a kid and in schools. But, you know, that is what we wind up talking about is that it's like this cavern within the, the building where you can, I don't think I've ever described it as a cavern. But I kind of <laughs> like it now that I said it, um, where you kind of every day you can, or several times a day, you can enter that cavern and come out a different person. Yeah. One of the great things about the, the school library is it's a resource for everybody. It's there for the teachers and it's there for every single student. So when I was an English teacher, I had a huge classroom library 
and a lot of kids would take advantage of it. But if I didn't have him as a student, other kids would never get a chance to look at any of these great titles that I had. So they were, you know, they never got the advantage that some of my students had. School library, it's for everybody. Everybody's welcome. Everything we buy is there for everybody to take advantage of. I think it's such an important resource just in that sense. Um, but there's so many more things that the school library is too. Like I really, my school library experience, especially when I was in like middle school and high school, we had, funnily enough, my middle school was connected to the high school and we had to walk from the middle school to the high school to use the library. Same situation I'm in now, although we had a better positioning, so it was a little bit easier. But I remember going into the library, but it was really just a place to do research. Like it was the place you went because your teacher assigned you a paper and you had to look stuff up yeah. and you'd go through the card catalog because I'm old as dirt. And, you know, you'd find the encyclopedia that had the article you needed. And I think a lot of people still have that as the impression of what the school library is, but there's so much more that they do. And there's so many more ways that they are helping to support all of the teachers and all the students in the school, not just even in their subjects, but really even beyond school, which is one of the things I get so excited about when I think about what the school library can do for students. How are you seeing, if if at all yet, that responsibility shift in regards to having to incorporate things like artificial intelligence? Are you seeing that shift at all? I think the school library has been for a while a place where a lot of new technology tends to get tried out, piloted. School librarians tend to be sort of on the, I don't want to say on the cutting edge, but very interested in what's another tool that I can offer my students or my staff. So we absolutely are seeing a lot of talk about AI right now um, in terms of how that is going to impact our students, our staff, our districts, how, what's it going to look like going forward. So that's a very big concern among a lot of school librarians right now. And it's something that nobody really knows because it is so new and it kind of, it really hit fast. Mm -hmm. And in education, there tends to be, one of my professors once described education like a battleship. It's once it gets going in a direction, it keeps going and you try and turn it and it's going to take you miles to make that turn because it <laughs> is slow to change direction. And We've got so many new technologies that are hitting so fast and, and going wide so fast that it's really difficult for any part of education to keep up. But I think school librarians are some of the few folks who are positioned really well to see these things, sort of find ways that they might fit in or not fit in and help their staff and students kind of understand, here's how they work and here's why you might want to think about how to use them in what you're doing. You said something else before that rings familiar and true to me about the, you know, I think about my school library when I was in high school. I don't know if I was telling you this last week. Did I tell you about the electronic doorway library? You did. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure I talked about this, but I know I didn't record it. So it had to have been when I was talking to you off mic. But I mean, that was in, I, I graduated from high school in 2000. So that those were like those pivotal years of, of real like internet discovery, really, because yeah, most yeah. people that, I mean, most people we knew didn't have the internet in their whole, I mean, maybe not most people didn't have it, but it was all dial up. Like, you know, I only had an email address, you know, when I started college, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so. 
before all the cell phones, before yeah. all the social media. Like That was it. And it was yeah. the internet was like, where can I find the internet? And the library was the only place to find it, whether it mm-hmm. was in your community library or your school library. And so to name it, I was just to fill everyone else in who's listening. I was telling Steve this little story last week that during the four years, at some point, the four years I was in high school, they they kind of like reestablished our school li- our high school library and and put this big banner up that was that named it the electronic doorway library, and the door wasn't electronic. <laughs> it, was, it was like your doorway to this to use literally to at that time it just meant this is where the internet is in school. But I was also telling him that to this day that it still exists in that high school. And that's, you know, 23 years later, it is still the electronic doorway. And Mm -hmm. so if we transform what that means into this is where the the people who should be or that we want to feel are the most up to date, knowledgeable about all types of media and how we can connect to them, to each other, how we can use them, how we can you know, grow in ourselves, grow to get all of those things. I It sounds like you're saying that librarians are going to have to step forward and and um, maybe be prepared to be the center of, of knowledge for these kind of scary things that are becoming uh, very quickly the center of our of our lives and not even just at school. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think a lot of people assume a library is about books. And my social media handle is Dr. T Loves Books because I love books. And it's one of the reasons I wanted to get into the library in the first place. But it's so much more than that. And like you're saying, like it has been and continues to be one of the main places for that electronic door, that carter into the wider world. And I think it's really difficult for teachers to find the time or the resources to kind of dig into a lot of different technologies because they're so focused on trying to deliver their curriculum, which as a former teacher, I totally get like curriculum tends to be like the thing that you get harped on. And there's so much accountability pressure placed on teachers to get curriculum done and to get testing done that I think a lot of them don't feel the, they have the opportunity to go out and see these other things and bring them into their classes. Whereas school librarians. I joke that I I am a master of information according to the diploma I got from Rutgers. <laughs> and I I used to think of that as sort of a goofy joke funny sort of title, but what really I think it says that I've only started to internalize myself is that I am a master at understanding how to look at, find and sort of navigate different forms of information, which I think is a hugely important task for any educator, but to be able to sort of take that and give it to all of the students rather than just the kids in my class, I think is a really wonderful opportunity that school librarians get that isn't necessarily true of classroom teachers. Yeah. And I'm thinking about what that, you know, what all of this might mean in the next five years or 10 years, the way you're describing the the center. I mean, I think of them as the center of the school. But does that increasingly, (laughs) and this is also me thinking about AI a lot all the time now as well, and and its effect on the physical building of school and the content and teaching of content that you were just mentioning before as well. I'm wondering like the structure of of a building or a district, does it shift a lot and libraries become 
almost like this more of a center of everything. Imagine a school itself almost resembles a library, the way a library functions, and we need less content teachers, but more more people that are are doing the kinds of work that we would normally associate with someone like yourself. You're nodding your head a lot. No one can see that, but I'm thinking that you're like, yes, let's please make schools libraries. (laughs) What do you think about that? (laughs) I I think the that concept is absolutely on point. Um, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago and somebody was saying that in their district, they have started going to project-based learning across all of the schools, all the classes, all of the grades, and they're seeing a really great response from the students and the staff. And they're going, oh yeah, you know, we're like, we're meeting the kids where they are. We're helping them explore topics that they're interested in. We're, you know, giving them authentic learning experiences. And this was a school libraries conference and the school library and running the session was like, yeah, we've been doing that in the library for you know <laughs> the past forever. So it's good that you're catching up with us now. So I absolutely think that the, the general ideas that apply to what goes on in the library can and should apply across the curriculum. You know, it's where I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. I'm sure we're living in an information age and the library is the place that students learn how to deal with information. And I think we need to help them find that information literacy. New Jersey, I, I live in New Jersey. I work in New Jersey. We're the first state in the country to have information literacy standards for our students. And they're still in the process of writing those. But I think it's incredibly important that that become a standard all over the place. There's a lot of places that have started to include media literacy, which I think is a huge component of information literacy. You know, talking about What's a reliable source of information? How can you tell? um, How do you vet information sources? Information literacy, I think, goes even beyond that and looks at how do you share information well? How do you make sure you're not spreading misinformation? How do you think about thinking carefully before you click on that reshare or repost, um, citing your sources so that people know where you're getting your information? And this kind of like has branches that goes into every subject area in different ways. So I absolutely think this is something that applies across the district, across the school. And I think, again, the library is a great place to be able to coordinate a lot of that and sort of bring a lot of it together and maybe tie some loose threads from different places together and show the students, this isn't just something you do for this class for a grade. This is something you do because it's important in your life. Mm. And I think that's a place that the library has a little bit of an edge because for the most part, libraries don't have grades, they don't have assignments. The library is there to help you find what you need. The library is there to be your information partner. So I think that opens up a very different way of looking at school for students because there's not that expectation of you need to memorize this and then you need to come back and spit it back at me so that you can get a grade on this assignment that's not going to make your parents angry. It's much more about what do you like and how can I help you find it and how can I help you recognize whether it's good or not good information. It's much more of a support service within the school, but it, it's like a, but with like this leadership edge to it. Like, I mean, it's a whole bunch of different roles in like kind of bunched together into one, I think. But at the same time, it's also has this element. And this is, I, I think the library space itself as a unit, I think has this element of socialization to it as well. We don't think of it. Let's not like confuse it with like, it's not sitting in the cafeteria and like that kind of a socialization. It's very, 
it's more like communication, I think. So it can start with just the process that you were just describing of a, you know, one individual student coming in with like a specific goal, right? And has to figure mm-hmm. out, do I, am I able to look for this thing on my own? Or, or do I even know where to find this thing? Do I need to go straight to the librarian? Do I need to ask for help on how to use a certain kind of tool or, or whatever it might be? Like they have to make several decisions and then communicate with an adult what they need. And then, and then it starts from there. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, there's also this idea of like collaboration, right? That starts like, it's almost like, you know, you're not in their class with them, but now they're collaborating with you. They might be there with a group of kids working on a project and figuring out how it is they have to navigate that kind of setting together. Mm -hmm. And then it's sitting there if they remaining in the library. And I don't know, there's a lot of things about that are not just socialization, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's almost like a mini society in its own, right? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, so I'm thinking about that too. And like how, how you might see and then, you know, you branch outside of schools and apply that to a community library. And you really see how that kind of blossoms and grows and gets bigger as you go outside of the school system. And like, there's this, these mini social centers that really we learn how to be, we can, if we allow ourselves, learn how to be like real members of a society. Absolutely. No, I think that's totally true. And again, to kind of update our uh, listeners who may not know on the school library, that's another way that libraries have changed. I think, especially in the past maybe 10 or 15 years, um, there's been this movement, um, a a makerspace movement, where libraries are becoming places where students go to do hands-on sorts of stuff. It's not just looking at a book or reading something on a screen. It's learning how to build things. It's learning how how things actually physically work and, and go together. And that can take a lot of different forms. But you were also saying about collaboration space absolutely hugely a part of what goes on in the library and going back to the old stereotype of you know the librarian who is trying to shush you and make sure everything is quiet that's really not what libraries are anymore libraries are places for students to come and congregate and collaborate with each other like you said with the school librarian and you know not just necessarily take in information but share information and even create information or create ideas um I was in a session last night in a PD session with some folks and we were talking about book clubs. And a lot of times we think about reading being a very solitary activity, you know, but reading is actually a very social activity. When you read, we often read because we want to be able to have a shared experience with people and we want to be able to talk about I agree. that same book together. You know, that's why people have book clubs so they can talk about them together. Mm-hmm. And I think the library is that sort of writ large where we might have thought about it previously as being this very place to go to be solitary and to focus on just, you know, yourself in this one topic. But it's actually about much more than that. And it's about socializing and learning, like you said, Mm -hmm. how to build these communities, because that's something that our students absolutely need to do. (laughs) You know, and that and that's a good reminder that we might think of modern, the modern library as these electronic doorways and information and doing research and going there to get something that's going to help you with something else, but take all of that away. And, you know, it strips it down to its very core, which is like, you know, the idea of going and getting a book from a library. And Mm -hmm. 
or or going and sitting in the library and reading. And they could apply that to like when you sit, go and do the same, similar thing in like a bookstore. But when it comes down to the the actual reading portion of this, you know, the socialization part of it also, I think, extends to something like fiction. It could be nonfiction as well, because for me, I mean, I'm I was I taught high school English for 14 years. I mean, one of my best friends was the school librarian, so it's not lost on me. I belong to the silent book club in Los Angeles where you literally meet strangers in a park and read in silence and don't talk to each other. So it's the solitary notion of the reader is not lost on me, but it's not, I don't read. Maybe when I was a kid, I read to find some solitude or quiet, but that is not how I think of, like, I read, I read because I want to experience other people. And so that's where I'm getting to this other part of it. Like, even if you strip away all the modern amenities and conveniences of how we, what we associate with a library and even take the librarian out, what you're doing is finding stuff that's going to allow you to open your own self up to other people. And, and fiction does that the best is what I think. Absolutely. I completely agree. Bibliotherapy is a thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's absolutely there for a reason. But even when you're talking about being part of a silent reading club, you're in a club, like yeah. you're going to a place because even though you may not be talking to the people, there's still a social aspect. Like mm-hmm. there's that, that sense of being part of a community, even if all you're doing is sitting near each other reading a book. Yeah. And it's interesting because I mean, a lot of times because I, because I am in Los Angeles, so we can be outside a lot of the year. So they can, they'll pop around to different parks, but even the ones that do meet in like a coffee shop or something, it's like five minutes of everyone goes and gets a drink and then comes back and we all sit and it's not like we all go to a different area and don't talk to each other, but otherwise why bother? (laughs) But you're in, (laughs) you're in one spot. Everyone kind of checks in. Sometimes they put a name tag on and, um, because it's often different people and you might just say, Hey, I'm Steve. Oh, hi. You don't like say anything about yourself unless you want to, but you know, everyone just says hello. And maybe some people say, Oh, what are you reading today? Oh, I'm still reading what I was reading last month. Oh my goodness. Or whatever. And then they just read. And it's like maybe an hour, an hour and a half. Like, and so then what happens is that over time, it, you might not be talking as far as socialization, you're independently doing something, but you now know these other people in your community that value that stuff. And like, you're yes. literally silently making friendships, like, because mm-hmm. I easily could then message that person somewhere and say like, Hey, I saw you were reading X, Y, Z. I am going to a book signing next. You know what I mean? It's suddenly like a weird type of communication happens where it's like this unspoken and, and you you know, you're doing it through reading and it's just a weird thing, but it's, it's so easy to do. Right. And it yeah. all starts, oh, it all starts with like thinking about how, you know, who you are as a reader and where that came from and what you get from it. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of cool. All of the things that you, that, that start with, with learning early on that you, that socialization doesn't just have to be conversation the way we're having a conversation right now. It, it can start by thinking about the characters that you read. Now we're getting into a whole other podcast here, Steve. <laughs> this is... <laughs> I mean, there's definitely research out there that shows that readers who read lots of fiction tend to be more empathetic. Mm-hmm. And that's even when you control across other factors. So 
yeah, like reading builds empathy because you're seeing other people's lives or you're seeing your own life. Um, as Dr. Rudine Bishop Sims, uh, Sims Bishop, I always put it backwards, mm-hmm. said, we, we've got books are great windows, mirrors and door, sliding glass doors. You know, they're windows into other people's lives and they let us see how other people are living. And we build empathy with that. They're mirrors that let us see things about ourselves and about our own situation and maybe even help us understand ourselves better. And they're sliding glass doors that let us move from understanding ourselves to understanding other people. So there's a lot to be said for even just, even if all school libraries did was give kids books, there's a huge benefit. So I could go on and on about the studies that show when a school has a librarian and a school library program, scores go through the roof. Mm -hmm. They go way up. And when schools don't have them, you see the drop. So like, just that alone is like a low hanging fruit that some schools don't get to take advantage of, unfortunately. So I don't know. I think there's a lot of reasons we should have school libraries. And I think you've hit a great one there. And just in terms of the idea of the socialization and community that we can build. Yes. And then like, of course we can jump the opposite direction too. And like, go if we wanted to, and talk more about things like you're, you're talking about hands-on project-based learning mm-hmm. and different programs like that, that even classroom teachers in a high school or middle school are pushing into the library to use, even if they're not actively using resources, but they want to be in the spot where they know they could get them or get the help, or they know that the librarian has the knowledge to do something if they should need them. Sometimes they just need the space, right? You want to be in that open center, um, Mm -hmm. which brings me to Another thing that I wanted to bring up that I hear, and I relate to this from my school experience as well, but I think it's way more prevalent now, is is the extension of the library is almost like a calming center as well, right? Not not even just calm, but like if I'm a student who wants to, yeah, maybe I am, maybe I am someone that wants a a quiet place to read during lunch or something like that. That could be one reason, but another thing is Mm -hmm. just actually providing like a table or a spot or a corner or someone to come and chat with, like where, where you could actually remove yourself from the noise of the building and the noise of the day. And it could be for any reason, maybe you physically are someone that needs that mental health support, or you just need a break every once in a while. And I know that I hear adults are doing that in the building just as much as students are and come in and just they like you see the same few people every day or every other day, wherever their schedule fits in, where it's like mm-hmm. 15 minutes, I go and sit in the library and talk to nobody. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like a lot of libraries have um, game centers or they have Lego walls or they have drawing stations where you can come in and work either individually or collaboratively on some small thing to just take your focus in a different direction. And again, we've got the studies that show that is really helpful to students' mental health and their ability to then refocus later and kind of rededicate themselves to time on task. The library often has the space and the resources to be able to have that kind of stuff for students to come in and take part in. And staff too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I set up a coloring station in the high school when I started in the library and I had seniors in high school just taking coloring pages and just coloring them in yeah. to just kind of bring themselves down a little bit and get themselves, you know, back to a, if they were feeling a little stressed or fraught, it's a great chance to kind of cool down a bit. 
talk about making something the center. Who doesn't want to just hang out in there and read and do a puzzle? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and just talk to people. But is there anything else you wanted to add before I move to our winding down segment here? I mean, I could talk about school libraries. <laughs> You're like, yes, I have 20 points. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about school libraries for the rest of my life and still never run out of things to talk about. Um, I think they're just such an important part of what a school can be. And I mean, I, I have been really fortunate, um, especially the past couple of weeks. I've had some amazing interactions with kids because I'm the school librarian rather than a classroom teacher. And I've been able to encourage some kids who probably would never otherwise have picked up a book to find something that really they wanted to explore more. And it's such an amazing feeling. And it's it's not quite the same as when you see that spark of recognition in a kid's eye in the classroom when you've taught them something and then all of a sudden it clicks, but it's real similar. And it's so, I find it such a fulfilling moment when I get that look on a kid's face that didn't consider themselves a reader before and they find that book that works for them. And I hope it's something that all students get to experience, that all people get to experience at some point, that you find that book that you really love. So hopefully listeners out there have either done that or will do that soon. <laughs> and Well, speaking of things that we really love, um, that's where what I kind of want to ask you now is, are there things that you are currently reading um, or listening to or watching that, or, you know, it could be any or all of those that, that you, that you're filtering through your consciousness now that you would say you're loving or want to recommend. They don't have to be school related or work related. They can be just simply pure fun. But anything that you want to share with us that you are indulging in at this moment? So I I am a big reader and I've no, been trying really? to, I, I know, right? How would you ever guess? <laughs> um, but I've been trying to make a concerted effort to read stuff from my school library because I, when I stepped into the space, I got the chance to buy a bunch of stuff and I bought a bunch of stuff that I had already read. But then that runs out relatively quickly, even though I read a lot of stuff. So I've been, you know, getting stuff from these great lists and awards and all this other stuff. So we've got hundreds of books in our catalog that I only know from titles from purchasing. So I'm trying to read my way through. And I just read a book by Nathan Hale, who is an author who does um, their graphic novels about history and they're heavily researched, but they are funny as all get out and they are just wonderful. I got to hear him speak recently and his presentation was just so unbelievably awesome. So I ran home and I grabbed one of his books and his first book is called One Dead Spy. And it's about the historical figure, Nathan Hale, no relation to the author. Mm -hmm. And it is just such an interesting look at history. And it's about the Nathan Hale, who was a spy who ended up getting captured and hung. But the story of how he got to that place and what was going on in the Revolutionary War at the time. Like I knew the dates and the, you know, the the names and stuff, but I don't think I'd ever really read a story about it. And he tells the story of Nathan Hale, not just the facts of Nathan Hale. And it is at times hilarious, at times mm -hmm. upsetting, but it is so great. And I was actually talking it up today. I, I I've got one person already took it out. And another person's on the waiting list for it when it comes back. Um, it's And he's got several different books out, the author, Nathan Hale, um, in this series. And I'm really looking forward to digging in the rest of them because they're just, this one was so enjoyable. I'm really uh, looking forward to getting into another one. 
I love hearing natural excitement in people's voice when they talk about what they're reading. It's it's uh, fun for me to listen, and it makes me want to say, yeah, I'm going to go get that, and then start a book club. No. <laughs> or, uh, you know, it's also the modern alternative to book clubs is literary podcasts. With If you yes. get people like like speaking with that enthusiasm just about like you were just expressing about something new that they've discovered and then mm-hmm. uh, discussing it in a roundtable with a few other people on the microphone. It really does. There was a podcast I listened to that now kind of stopped and I, I was upset that it stopped, but it was like seven years it was going and they, they mm-hmm. had that feel. It was supposed to be, I think their tagline was the last book club you'll ever need or the last book club <laughs> you ever join. Honestly, half of my bookshelf now c- came from one year, like the first year of the pandemic, I was buying so many books. But like, yeah. <laughs> they were bored as well. So they did so many episodes of that podcast because they were just like, we're just at home reading. <laughs> so they were picking like more difficult things and, and old books and new books. And it was great. And they would sometimes do just a series of short stories one week um, or like a book of poetry. It was just so fun. And I would just order every single thing that they did because then you could read it and listen with them. And I don't know. It was just a great, it's a great thing. I know one day I'm going to have a literary podcast of some sort that's going to be similar because we need that. Having those social moments in reading. Again. Yeah. <laughs> Especially now that you can, you can also attach that to social media, right? Like how we do yeah. even in the teacher world, like listen to this and then go on Twitter and talk to us about whatever. It just keeps adding these like other dimensions yeah. that conversation. You can continue the conversation and it can be asynchronous. It can be across space and time. It's really amazing what we yep. can do. The library exists everywhere, everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, let's tell people where they can find you. Um, where can they find you or where do you want them to connect with you? Whatever, whatever information you want us to know. Cool. I used to spend most of my time online on Twitter, uh, whatever they're calling it these days. I am moving away from that. I'm still there, but I've been moving over to Blue Sky, which we're trying to get a bunch of the school librarians to move over there. And we've got a couple of hundred now have moved over. So we're we're building up our rebuilding our community there. Um, but I'm Dr. T Loves Books on most social medias. Um, if you're looking to touch base, I'm still on Twitter, just not as often. Blue Sky much more often. And you can find different contact information for me there for a couple of different projects I'm working on. Cool. It was so great to finally get to, you know, you're like me helping me step into the world of interviewing more people who work in library spaces everywhere. So I want to get more and more voices in because it really is an essential type of leadership, I think. And I want I want those those voices to be represented here as we talk on The Optimalist about what does uh, what does it look like to educate? Not just what does education look like, right? There's a difference. What does it look like to oh, yeah. educate in the next 10 years? That's really what I am concerned with. Yeah, it's uh, uh, uh concern is a good word. <laughs> I'm really curious <laughs> where things are going, but I do hope that you do get to talk to more school library folks because there's definitely a huge pool of talent and leadership out there um, in the educator space that is really helping students find a lot of important, authentic learning for themselves. Thank you, Steve, for sharing your story and work with the Optimalist audience. And thanks to everyone out there who signed up to try out Swivel's new product, Mirror, during its first demo program cycle. 
Mirror is Swivel's new AI-powered self-reflection tool that helps students supercharge and regulate their reflective practice. We believe that the high-order skills that we all need in the age of AI are going to rely on our level of self-awareness and our ability to better manage our emotions, work habits, choices, relationships, and learning. And we're using AI to help us do that. Basically, Mirror is where we want you to meet your potential self, your best self. There's a link in the show notes today to sign up to be a part of this incredible opportunity, which is the Mirror Demo Program. Basically, we send you a free device to your school and you use it with some light guidance from us over the course of 30 days or so. And then you tell us what happened. It's that easy. So follow the link in the show notes to sign up now or go to swivel.com for more information. Please consider letting us know what you think about this podcast by leaving a review or even a rating in Apple Podcasts. And you can reach me on Twitter at scandela9. The hashtag optimalist can be used when posting answers to questions that we ask here, especially if you can't find the original post and I'll be sure to see it. I can also be reached personally at sarah at swivel.com. You can listen and subscribe to the optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The optimalist podcast is brought to you by swivel at swivel. We understand that the biggest challenge in education is the rate of change, policy revisions, technological advancements, which are now accelerated by AI, evolving job markets and ongoing research, constantly identifying new best practices are only some of the factors affecting the rate of change in education. To learn how Swivel can help you be more reflective, engaged, and adaptable, visit swivel.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I'll be back next week with a new conversation.